Let us pray. O God, in life and in death, we belong to you. We pray for our sister Lynette and the Dirksen and the Sparks families as they mourn. Comfort them. Comfort all who mourn. Be with us this day and this moment as we seek to be your faithful and loving and just community. Silence in us any voice but your own. And as we have heard your word, allow it to abide with us and transform us for Christ's sake. Amen. There's a version of Greek called Koine Greek. It is the language in which our New Testament was originally written. And Greek New Testament has three words for the word love. There's eros, romantic love. There's philia, brotherly or sisterly or neighborly love. And there's agape, self-giving love, sacrificial love. All are important and all matter. They did then, they do now. Here's what that love has looked like in popular culture, or at least my slim experience and version of it. Somebody to love. Can't help falling in love. Crazy little thing called love. Sunshine of your love, whole lot of love. I just called to say I love you. Love me two times. I'll have to say I love you in a song. Loves me like a rock. Love her madly. I'm all out of love. By the unforgettable band called Air Supply, by the way. Although I said unforgettable at the first service and somebody said, did you mean unforgivable? And I said, you need to apply your own understanding for Air Supply. There's best of my love, silly love songs, the one I love, I think I love you, I can't stop loving you, love train, addicted to love, I want to know what love is, love will keep us together, will you still love me tomorrow, loves me like a rock, higher love. I'm sure I've forgotten hundreds of them, you can text me after service today. And then there's a subsection of all this where love is not such a great thing. You give love a bad name. Love is a battlefield. Love hurts. Love stinks. And then the Beatles get their own category, don't they? You've got to hide your love away. Love me do. Can't buy me love. And I love her. When Maroon 5 performs to some controversy this afternoon at halftime, Perhaps they'll sing their hit, She Will Be Loved. Who knows? I don't know that song. I don't really know Maroon 5. My fantasy alternate Super Bowl goes something like this. Ohio State defeating the New Orleans Saints. (laughs) It's a last-minute field goal. And at halftime, the third church chancel choir and junior choir perform. (laughs) They're singing a combination of hymns and Bruce Springsteen cover songs. That's right. You can say amen to that if you want to, right? (laughs) But you get the point, I think. However, it's been represented in popular culture over the years and over generations. 
whether on a grand scale or a granular one, we have done many things to and with love. When it comes to the three biblical understandings of love, eros and philia and agape especially, it, it gets even worse. We've trivialized, marginalized, sentimentalized, neutralized love. Tina Turner asked what love had to do with it. It's a secondhand emotion, she sang, and she was right, except it's not, or at least it needn't be, secondhand or an emotion. God is love. Love God, love neighbor. I give you a new commandment, that you love one another. And then there's this. For the last few weeks, through rain and sleet and snow and wind and hail, we have been working through chapter 12 of Paul's first letter to the church at Corinth. Paul's writing to a fledgling community. It is diverse, many experiences. It's not quite sure what to believe, not quite sure how to believe. They've even endured conflict as they've tried to establish some norms and practices patterns of behavior in this new community. Paul insists that every one of them, that each one of them, has been given gifts by the Spirit to use for the common good. And then Paul works through this extensive image of the church as a body with all of the parts being equal and valued. Paul's offering an alternative view, an alternative ethic, where all, not just some, but all matter, and where all, not just some, but all have vital contributions to make to the church. The church that's more than an organization, but the body of Christ. And then Paul turns next to what that looks like. It's probably some of the most familiar words in all of Scripture, and he writes to that little struggling church certainly fewer than those of us who are gathered in this place this morning. He writes to them about love. It is agape love, he considers, self-giving, sacrificial love. I must say we read these words at nearly every wedding I lead, which is fine, and they absolutely work in that context. But knowing this is agape love we're understanding here, we see two things going on. Even if we read them at a wedding, this is about way so much more than the sentiment of the moment. This love is serious business. It's wonderful business, but it's serious business. Not just at that wedding moment, but for the long haul. And secondly, these words matter in every moment, at weddings and marriages, of course. But every context where we are trying to figure it out what it means to live together, live together as a family, live together as a church, live together as a city, live together as a nation. Paul understands that talk is cheap. He understands that in the culture, relationships often fail to go below a surface level. He understands that people do have skills and abilities but that they are rarely understood as gifts from God. He understands all of it. 
every word, every action, every connection, all of them are nothing, nothing without love. And then he turns to these profound and beautiful and fierce and true words about love. Love is patient. Love is kind. It's not envious or boastful or arrogant or rude. I'm sure you can envision a situation where envy and boastfulness and arrogance and rudeness has won the day. What would an alternative scenario to that look like, filled with kindness and patience, filled with the strength and the power of love that bears all things, that believes all things, that hopes all things, that endures all things, that never, never ends? Imagine that. Caroline Lewis asks, why is it? that we find it so difficult to make what appears to be a rather obvious choice, a choice for love. What stands in our way, she asks, what is at stake for us that we are reluctant to admit or to say out loud? She writes, no matter where we go or who we are, there is and will be disagreement and division. The answer is not to erase, pretend it doesn't exist, or think it will eventually go away. But embrace more fully how to live into it, among it, and with it, in love. Jan Richardson writes, loving is always risky, because we cannot enter into it without being changed, altered, transformed. Loving is never just about opening our heart. It is about being willing to have our heart become larger, she says, as we make room for people and stories and experiences we never imagined holding. It is about being willing to have our heart become deeper as we move beyond the surface layers of our assumptions prejudices and habits in order to truly see and receive what and who is before us. It is about willing to have our heart continually shattered and remade as we take in not only the brokenness of the world, but also the beauty of it, the astounding wonder that will not allow us to remain the same. So Tina Turner was wrong, at least in that song. Love is not a secondhand emotion, or at least it needn't be. And the Beatles were right, at least in that song. Love is all you need. As long as that love is honest, open, authentic, risky, and that we who follow the God who is love are willing, even imperfectly, to risk having our brokenness transformed in order to heal the brokenness of the world. We quoted Martin Luther King Jr. five times on the bulletin cover today. I couldn't decide. King sought to exhibit strength in love by risking it all for both black and white Americans, risking family and career, any semblance of popularity, life itself, with a risky vision and a risky tactic. King understood that whatever else this was all about, it was about 
love. Families understand that. I know we are all not married here, or all have children, but some of us do. And we know the strength of love on the other side of sentiment. The strength of love when facing a crisis, or a loss, or a disappointment, or a betrayal, or a failing, and persevering. Persevering humbly, tentatively, even imperfectly, but persevering in love, in the strength of love. Jesus understood it best. If God is love, then Jesus is love personified, love incarnate, flesh and blood love. This morning we experience it simply at a table, a simple table with bread and cup, love broken, love poured out, in order that we may be strengthened to love. That's what love looks like. Pure, unbounded, all-excelling love. And it never ends. It never ends. We are called to practice in big ways and small, and furthermore, we are given the capacity and the gifts to do it by God whose love for us is great, the greatest. Amen.